Good morning and welcome to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. You're listening to Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere, because that's our goal, to bring you these faith-enriching programs over the air, streaming online, or through your favorite podcasting app. However you tune in, thank you for your support. If you have questions or comments about today's show, I invite you to reach out to me via email at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, even if you just want to say hello. I'd also be interested in hearing how you're tuning in and where you're listening from. Now, we're grateful for the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, which underwrites Thy Strong Word. You can support us by supporting the great work they do for God's kingdom. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information. Well, a blessed Monday, August 22nd to all of you. Today, we've made it to Romans chapter 7. Yesterday, in chapter 6, we heard Paul ask the question, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And the answer was an obvious no. We've died to sin. Why still live in it? Well, we've been freed from sin, but now we're slaves to righteousness. Slavery and freedom are antithetical, except when you remember that our new master is God and his gift is that he has adopted us as sons and daughters, and we have an inheritance coming, eternal life. So as St. Paul ends chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, we now make our way into chapter 7. To help us continue in Romans with that chapter this morning, is a fine pastor from the great state of North Carolina, the Reverend Jim Daub of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Havelock, North Carolina. Pastor Daub, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you very much, Pastor. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. Now, I grew up in North Carolina. That's my home state, uh, except I was born in Winston-Salem, right in the middle, and then grew up on the western side, right in the mountains, now, you, now Havelock, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's on the eastern side of the state, right? That is correct. We are uh, coastal, coastal North Carolina. That's the beautiful thing about North Carolina, and I know I'm biased, but you have the great coasts, you have the Piedmont or the plains in the middle, and then you have the mountains in the west. Now, tell us a little bit about what God is doing through you and through the saints at St. Paul in Havelock. How's ministry going there? Everything is is really exciting. We we have some wonderful opportunities to to share the the good news of our Lord. One of the great mission opportunities we have is our area is very heavily influenced by the military. Across the street from St. Paul, we have uh, Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point. So we have one of the largest uh, air stations for the Marine Corps on the East Coast. Uh, we have Camp Lejeune about an hour away. We also have Seymour Johnson uh, Air Force Station a few hours away. So eastern eastern North Carolina is not just the, the beautiful destination for the tourists with uh, the, the ocean, but we also have the, the great opportunity to have really a crossroads with a whole bunch of folks with um, Coast Guard, Marine Corps, Army, Air Force, a lot of, a lot of folks with the, the military influence. Yeah, what an amazing opportunity to serve those who serve our country. 
and to point them, of course, to Christ. And it's, you know, it's so needed. LCMS, of course, is very well known for its uh, chaplaincy program. But I think people forget, though, that chaplains can't be everywhere. And our military folks are equally served by the congregations that are in the communities around bases and other places. And yeah, it sounds like you have a great cross-section of different types of military folks to serve. That's wonderful. Absolutely. And and I also have the privilege of, of serving as one of the auxiliary uh, chaplain support chaplains with the Coast Guard. So it's a volunteer position and we, I serve with the uh, the men and women in our coasties, and serve um, have the the privilege of being a, a member of one of our local auxiliary uh, flotillas, uh, flotilla fifty four twenty o two, and it's a, a great opportunity again sharing the good news of of Jesus with others, and and also enjoying some very very uh, wonderful fresh locally caught seafood plus all the other great uh, North Carolina fare that we have over in this area. Now, how far are you from Kitty Hawk? Um, Kitty Hawk, we're probably about three and a half hours because there's the great joy. As you know, there is no easy way of getting around in our state because we have hardly any easy, straight back and forth roads. So for us to get to the Outer Banks, we have to either go up and over the bridge or take the ferry over. Um, so we're, you know, that's probably, I would say three, three and a half hours away by the time you take all the different, uh, ferries and back roads. So you really can't get there from there, right? No, so it's kind of, not unless they gave me a helicopter, but that, that would be super easy and super wonderful, but you know, <laughs> exactly. Well, that's wonderful. Well, you know, I'm happy to have you joining us today because chapter seven of Romans is an incredibly important section. It's, um, something that I think is foundational to our understanding of what it means to live as a Christian in the law. And so do you want to kind of lead us in a little bit before we get started? You know, what's going on in chapter six that kind of uh, presents itself as an argument wise as, you know, time for him to buckle down on what it means to knowing to know the law and how the law is binding? Absolutely. You really you kind of really need to take chapter six, seven and eight kind of all together. And and when we look at at chapter 6, you know, and, and in in the light of 7, 7 really becomes like you said one of those kind of difficult chapters for us to kind of put our head around. Um, you know, because the fact that here we're we're really struggling with some some really tough tough issues here. It it underscores the fact that that the law is is serves a great point for us. It, it really, it, it's important, but the law is not what saves us in the end. The, there is that life and death struggle with our sin, and our sin is exposed by the law, but yet the law is not what will, in the end, make us righteous before the Lord, that we have hope through our Savior Jesus, and, and that we are, as we see in chapter 6, we're, we're connected to Christ by our baptism, and that we die in baptism through Christ, but that we are also, we live through him as well. And, and that really sets up that, that inner struggle in, in chapter seven that we, we face. And, and, and Paul does, I think, just in a remarkable way of identifying that struggle and what we live with every day as a, as a follower and, and believer in our Savior Jesus. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, law the law of God, of course, is good and righteous because, well, it's from God. But when the Holy Spirit uses that law on us, so often, of course, does it convict us in our sin, remind us of our need for a Savior. But then, of course, in, oh gosh, in, in our redemptive state, we can also look at the law as a guide to how to live. But the people back in the first century, the people to whom Paul is writing, both Jews and Gentiles, they have such divergent ways of looking at the law. You know, there's, there is a struggle there too on the, on the part of those who are Jews to keep the law perfectly, perhaps in order to earn God's favor. The Gentiles wondering if they should first become a Jew and where the law applies to their lives. And of course, the fact that, yeah, in chapter six, there's this idea that if the law presents to us the need for salvation, then perhaps we should just continue to sin so that, well, so that grace may abound. And there, obviously, that's a silly idea. And I think Paul's setting up a strong man. But while people wouldn't maybe say that out loud, sometimes that's how we live. So I tell you what, why don't we go ahead and read chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, and we'll just dig into the text. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Bible. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you who also have died to the law through the body of Christ— so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which helped us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. All right, so take us into that. You know, he he's starting with an illustration. What? How does that play out in his argument? You know, it, it it's really amazing as you look at this illustration. As you had mentioned, speaking to either the Jews who follow the the law perfectly and in, in trying to gain this righteousness, uh, or or those the Gentiles trying to to understand. You know, do I just go whatever? Either way, is they understood this aspect of the law. Meaning, you know, this this illustration pointing to the fact that of the the marriage right, and 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 here is the understanding of the law only has authority on someone as long as the person's alive. So, in in the marriage aspect here, death changes a person's relationship with and and to the law. Meaning that once a person dies, they're they're released. Um, death changes the power of the law. So if someone is married to someone and that person, that person's spouse dies, that person now has the ability to, to have a new relationship. And, and how that then ties in for us as, as Christians is that we have died to the law. 
the, the law's hold on a Christian has been broken, meaning that that we now are eligible, if you want to call it, to a new relationship being being made for us. And and as as I mentioned before, is that in, in Romans six, this ties us back again to Romans six, is that in baptism we are buried with Christ. By grace, we are are set free from the bonds of the law. And notice what Paul says here is that that Christ has suffered and died, setting us free from the law in order to bear fruit for God. Namely, that we bear fruit for for the the good news, meaning that, that we by faith, we share the, the, good, the, the good works that are done. And, and why do we do that? Because we are, are set free. We are set free from the bonds of the law so that we are now um, belong to another, as Paul says, belong to him who has been raised from the dead. So it's no longer that we are bound to the law, bound to having to do all things perfectly in order to be righteous to God, because we can't be, but rather that we are are set free from the law because of Christ. No longer is God's um, no longer is God's plan of salvation set so that the sinner dies, but rather that His Son would die in place of the sinner. So that because we are buried with Christ in baptism, that we also live with him again. As he was raised, so too are we raised. And because we have that hope, and because we have that promise of life everlasting with him, we now share that that wonderful, those deeds of of good fruit, bearing good fruit for God. And, And what a beautiful picture that is. So he uses that illustration that they understand. And he uses those things because, as again, you know, Paul talks about, you know, we live in the flesh, our sinful passions arise by the um, by the the law. You know, think about what what are those things that our our sinful lives do every day? How does this apply to us today? Well, we have those sinful desires: that anger, bitterness, jealousy, hatreds towards others. You know, all those things is not what identifies us, who we are as the children of God, but rather the Spirit works in a new way. We, we aren't tied to just our old way, the who we used to be, but we're tied back to the baptismal font. We're tied back to who we are as the children of the Lord. And by grace, we no longer live in fear of the law, but rather we, we by joy, uh, have that wonderful opportunity to to bear bear the good works um, in response to the faith that we have the 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 new life that we've been given through our Savior Jesus and and what what opportunity that is yeah I mean I just love this idea when you mentioned this this we are no longer you know controlled by the law in such a way that we don't have to spend our time always trying to think of every way that we can try to please God so that he might have mercy upon us. I think about how exhausting that would be, Pastor, if if we were trying to live our lives constantly worried and under the threat of God's condemnation. Oh, it's exhausting, wouldn't it? Be? Oh, we, and you would not, I think, agree. You would agree that we would not have time to serve our neighbor. We wouldn't have time to share the gospel. And if we did share the gospel, would that be out of 
a heart that desires others to be saved, or would that be because we're desperately trying to avoid God's wrath? You know, you wouldn't serve your neighbor because they have needs, but you'd be serving them just for your own sinful desires to try to uh, basically convince God that you were something you were not, and that is perfectly righteous. So yeah, that's that freedom from the law. Yeah, I love it. You know, growing up down south, there are a lot of folks who, um, though certainly are saved by their faith in Christ, still belong to traditions that really emphasize the law, I would say, a little a lot heavily. Not that the law doesn't have a place in the life of the Christian. We know the three uses of the law. But at the same time, I've seen so many folks who live in in abject fear of God because of the law. And it's a not it's it's because they don't recognize that Christ's fulfillment of the law has been applied to us on our behalf. And brother, what I'm thinking of is I'm thinking of those folks who have been baptized six, seven, eight, nine, ten times, because they're baptized in a tradition where, you know, that's just an outward show. Or they believe that they've backslid, so every Sunday they're getting up in front of the congregation and begging for forgiveness. And now while confession and absolution are certainly part of the Christian experience, it's really out of this desperation to live perfectly, which once we recognize we can't, it opens us up to clinging to what Christ gives us in the way of the Spirit. Well, and I think the greatest thing that we have to remember is if we base our righteousness before God upon ourselves, we are forever standing at the foot of a mountain that we can never get to the top of. And and no matter and it's a mountain made out of a slippery grease. Because no matter how much we try to get up to the top of that mountain by ourselves, by our righteousness, we will always backslide. We will always fall down because it's not about us. And there's never any hope of ever getting to the top because there's no there's no comfort for us. And I think that's the one, especially down here. Um, I was born and raised in Milwaukee. And so, you know, there's Lutherans every corner practically. And so down here, there's hardly ever, there's hardly any Lutherans. And so I had to learn a lot of the new, um, a lot of the different uh, faith traditions and trying to understand people. And when we're talking and a lot of folks had a really, they have a really hard time understanding the, the concept of Lutheranism in terms of Christ has done it for us. There's nothing we have to do to gain our salvation. They're like, well, but wait a minute, what, what more do I have to do? I'm like, there's nothing. Jesus did it, but there's got to be something I have to do. You're like, no, it's not about us. It's not about what we have to do. Jesus did it for us on the cross. But, but no, truly that, that, that's too simple. You know, and then they're like, well, I don't want to go to the Lutheran way because if I'm not doing something, well, then therefore it, it can't be good enough. I'm like, you're at, see, and that's true. It comes from this idea. And I was raised, I'm not a lifelong Lutheran, full disclosure to everybody listening. I don't know if I've mentioned that before, but, uh, but I grew up in one of these traditions where even believing, even just believing that Jesus is your savior is not a gift of God, but rather a work that you do. You have to make a decision for Christ. And depending on the church that you were a part of, that decision for Christ also has to be made in a very certain way, in the same way that your baptism must be done in a very certain manner, because all of these things 
are done in order to please God. And so when you're raised up with this idea that even the gospel has become law, then yeah, it's hard. But the good news is, as you know, but when we proclaim to those who've been raised up in these traditions, and we certainly believe they're saved because of their faith. This isn't calling them unchristians. This is saying that they're not enjoying the full benefits of their faith by continuing to cling to the law. And we, I think we find ourselves in the same position of, as Paul did, trying to point them to Christ such that the Holy Spirit will, I don't know, the scales will fall off their eyes. Their hearts will be relieved because you, are, you never find, I'm being a little hyperbolic, but just in my experience, you never find more faithful, committed Lutherans than you do often in those who have come to the faith from one of these traditions. Now, of course, we have lots of faithful Lutherans who are lifelong Lutherans, but we have just this commitment from those who have kind of been on the other side and now see the light, yeah. and they end up being, let's say, extra Lutheran sometimes. <laughs> well, I think it's it's refreshing for them because it's it's well liberating maybe is a better word because you know for for you know i i am a, a cradle <clears throat> excuse me cradle lutheran you know born and raised all my education's been in the lutheran system and so it's it's very easy to take that for granted you know because you've had i've had it my whole life but for you know, for some who you know members who have converted from you know different faith traditions, they say how amazing and 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 liberating it's been to to hear that there is such great hope. And I think maybe that's the richness in in our preaching is you know the the law gospel preaching that you get that that great hope and and we have that you know and in, in even in in this text Romans seven this is one of those wonderful passages and. And Paul even ends it on great gospel. We'll get there, you know, but but that that's still that's that wonderful promise for us that that it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. And I think that's the wonderful joy for us. Now, I want to take a step back to verse five, because I think there's something very interesting here that we often don't consider, and it's very common in Paul's writings. Verse 5, it says, For while we were living in the flesh, the idea is outside of faith in Christ, our sinful passions were aroused by the law. So they were at work in our members to bear fruit from death. This is the juxtaposition he's making. So on the one hand, we've now been released from the law, now, we don't want to go so far as to saying the law has no bearing in our life, of course, but that going back, having our sinful passions aroused by the law, how do you think Paul means that? In, in what way does that still apply today? You know, in, in the fact that the, <clears throat> excuse me, that they, they find the law shows us, you know, they, they, they show the law exposes all the things. And it, it starts to begin to really kind of ramp up, if you want to call it that, the idea of here now is all the things in the flesh of what we're doing wrong. And, and you know, the, the idea of, how do, I, how do I put it in the right way, of, of talking about um, the just the idea of 
how we in the things that that everything that we do that is opposite to what we should be and where we should be as as a child of a child of the Lord all the things that that is just so unpleasing to the Lord and then we start seeing that exposed by the law and and that is just i think when you look at that is is now we see the whole the the bigger picture and and you know paul is just nailing that to the people because this is really i think as you look at that is somewhat the the discussion of where he was prior to who he was prior to his conversion and we we get a little bit of that in the next section as well but we we see this as those people who you were prior to being a child of the lord these are all the things that you are doing you are doing wrong as i kind of talked about you know before the you know the the anger bitterness all that kind of stuff is all of these passions that that the law now brings or that the that are exposed by the law and and that we at times so greatly enjoy doing you know let's face it we we love to sin and as sinners we're good at it and I, well, I was going to say, it kind of reminds me of that um, cartoon that's going around Facebook about, you know, uh, the mom's telling to the kid, you know, you should just follow your heart. And of course, the next panel has the heart of the kid saying sin, right? Right. Because that's right. That's what the heart wants to do. I, wouldn't you agree also that, you know, this idea of being aroused by the law, and it's exactly what you were saying, that it, it also is about Satan using the things that we are not to do to sort of, I think arouse is the right word, to to instigate us to say, well, that's what I desire to do now. You tell me what I'm not allowed to do, and then that's the thing now I want to do. Yeah. But the fruit of that, while it might even feel like temporary or temporal pleasure, because sometimes the things that are bad for us actually feel good in the moment, but really, it's just bearing fruit for death. And I think that's what Paul's warning us against. Well, if your parent tells you don't touch the stove because it's hot, what's the first thing you always did as a kid? You touched <laughs> it. You know, yeah. all the things that are forbidden are the things everyone wants to do because, you know, and the devil does a good job at, you know, concealing and, and making things seem so right. And yet, you know, you talk about you talk about parents saying to children, don't touch the stove as adults. I think we can all agree that whenever you go to that Mexican restaurant and the, uh, you know, the good one, not the bad one, the good one. Yeah. yeah. And you go to that Mexican restaurant because there's always a good one and a bad one. You always want to go to the good one and you go there and the waitress goes, be careful. The plates are very hot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The first thing everybody does is grab the plate <laughs> and, and then they shake their hands up in the air because, oh, their fingers are burning. Yeah, hey, this is hot. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then exactly. someone at the table goes, "Well, dummy, it was hot." And you're like, "Well, I just needed <laughs> to make sure." Really? Exactly. Okay. I I think that's a small example of our our aroused passions within us, kind of wanting to do that which we're not supposed to do. I tell you what, we need to take a little bit of a break right now. But after we return, I'm going to continue my discussion with my guest, Pastor Jim Dobb of Havelock, North Carolina. And we're going to get into verses 7 and following of Romans chapter 7. We'll be right back after this short break. 
message. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back, friends, to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and it's been my pleasure to be chatting with Pastor Jim Dobb of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Havelock, North Carolina. Now, we've been exploring Romans chapter 7, and we're making our way through the text, and we found ourselves at verse 7 right now. So we're going to read that, and I'll be reading again from the ESV. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that the sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Let's stop right there. Um, let's dig in here a little bit. So we are talking about then sin. So if the law then is connected to our sinful passions being aroused, then does that mean the law is something bad? Uh, take it away, Pastor. Well, I think we can absolutely say, no, the law is not bad. But does that mean that the law is only good? Well, that's kind of one of those kind of duad things. So, well, let's look at this. So I think when we look at this is we can, looking at these verses, say 7 through 13, um, we look at one of the aspects is that the law is is useful. It, it's useful because it, it alerts and it points the people not just to, to God's will, but it, 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 it points the people so that they avoid the evil. And, and here Paul's using kind of the, the, the first person talk um, so that what he's speaking, he's using it in the sense so that he's talking about I in, in that it becomes then the, the whole point is that it's really true for all people using himself as the, as the object without saying you, 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 you know, it's, it's the, the generalization, if you will, so that it's applicable for all without pointing fingers at, at specific. And kind of here's like a, a side note, if you will, in this section here um, from actually seven um, 
verses 7 through 25, he uses I, the first person, 52 times. So this is one of those really kind of powerful, powerful things. But it really, the law really does serve as a very needed element, a needed thing for us as Christians. You know, you talk about that that phrase that that what you don't know can't hurt you. But, you know, if you're not aware, if you're unaware of the demands of God's law, well, then you don't really have to worry about it, right? And and I guess you could use the example that uh, doing something wrong doesn't really bother you if you don't know that you've done something wrong. But once you've done something wrong, well, then it kind of bothers you or, or it should bother you, right? So say, for instance, you you don't know that you've done something wrong, but the minute that someone told you that, hey, what you did, what you said against someone or towards someone, that, that really kind of bothered them. And then how many times have you done that? And how many times has someone maybe pointed that out to you? And then that's the thing that starts gnawing at you in the back of your head, right? And so then you're like, man, I, I was kind of just happy and going with life. And I didn't realize that I, I did something bad. And now that someone told me I did something bad, boy, I feel really kind of guilty about that. So we think about this, that especially in light of Paul, remember, you know, prior to conversion, what did what was Paul? He was one of those kind of he was the, the the ultimate, the true blue guy. He was the Pharisee who, who went around to kill Christians. He was self-righteous. He was you know, the guy who obeyed every bit of the law. In his mind, he thought that he was completely right. In his mind, he thought that he was doing everything perfectly. In his mind, he was upholding and fulfilling the law. And in his mind, he thought that he was golden in the sight of God because he was obeying the law perfectly in his mind. But then comes his conversion. Then he gets the full picture. And now everything changes. And now the more that one becomes aware of the law, in light of Christ, the more he realizes, man, what a sinner he really was, how unworthy he was. And then we see in these verses that that here now, the, the very commandment that he thought in verse 10, that he thought promised life, in fact, proved to be death to him. Why? Because sin is the enemy of, of the human. It's the enemy. Sin is, is, is the enemy, not the law. Why is that? Because, let's face it, sin, notice in verse 11, seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me, and through it, it killed me. It wasn't the law that killed him, because the law exposed the sin. It was sin that killed him. Let's think about that for a moment, right? Sin is fun, and we are good at sin. And But sin, though, it makes us come up with all kinds of excuses. It makes us have all these rationalizations in our life. We, we will justify our sin away every single moment of our life. We will say to ourselves that, you know, sin is fun. Sin, everyone else is doing it. So if it's not hurting anyone, then why should anyone else care what sin I'm doing? 
how many times have you heard people say, or maybe you yourself have said, you know, if you want to get in ahead in life, if you want to move up the corporate ladder, if you want to, you know, get a, a promotion, you know, within the military with or at work or wherever, then you have to do such and such. And and if you don't do certain things, well, then people aren't going to like you or they're not going to accept you or they're not going to think that you're part of the cool kids club. And so sin begins to start lying to us and telling us that if you don't do such and such, if you don't do blank, well, then, you know, good things won't come into your life and then you won't have all these nice things. But yet we come back again, package, package deal, Romans 6, 7, 8. Romans 6, verse 23, what does Paul tell us? The wages of sin is death. And therefore, then we see in the mirror of God's law that sin, and that sin points us to our death. So Paul talks about in, in, Roman, in Romans uh, 7, verse 12, the law is holy, the law is righteous, <clears throat> the law is good, because it exposes us for who we are, and we are sinners. We are sinners who are in need of salvation. But you know what I think is interesting about that is if we consider how people, and I love this part that Paul is bringing out because it's so important. If we consider how people look at the Christian condition, we think, okay, well, Christians are so oppressed. They can't do the things they want. They're, they they have they can't follow their desires. They have to obey these ten commandments. They have to et cetera et cetera. And people look at that, and even if they hear God's law and they start to feel a little guilty about it, it's not the sin that people naturally want to blame. It's not themselves or their wickedness that that we want to blame. Oftentimes, we blame the law itself. We say, well, you know, it's just an oppressive list of rules provided you know, throughout history and, you know, God just wants to control you or worse, the church just wants to control people. And Paul is really, as you so aptly pointed out, Paul is making this point that, no, the law, it's sin that's doing all the deceiving. The law itself is good and it's holy and it's righteous. I I just want to reread 13, but I want to bring in 14 as we continue discussing just to kind of keep it Going, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. And let's just add 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. I wanted to add that into the conversation that we're having because, yeah, it's not that the law itself is some wickedness that God's imposing upon us. It's our inability to keep it, which makes it look sinful. And the world looks at it and they say, nope, I don't want anything to do with that because the unrighteous person cannot, you know, conceive of the things of God. Absolutely. And, and you know, and, and Paul brings in this idea of, of being a slave to sin, you know, sold under sin is, is and that's that constant, this side of heaven that we will always contend with is our walk with the Lord is, is one that is a daily, a daily walk. It's, you know, once you're baptized, doesn't mean, okay, I'm golden. That's fine. Uh, once we're confirmed, I don't have to do anything else. I never have to pick up my Bible again. I don't have to go to church anymore. No, that not at all. Don't, 
may the listeners not say, Pastor Dobbs said, I don't have to go to church anymore because I've been confirmed. No, absolutely not. You know, it's that constant being fed and nourished through word and sacrament ministry because the fact that we are constantly bombarded by our sin every day and we need that strength and nourishment that comes to combat that battle that is there, the battle that we're just about to, to get into in these next few verses. And, and that's the, you know, the battle with sin is never to be a surprise for us as Christians. Just being a Christian doesn't make us exempt from struggles and pain and problems by, by no means, you know, and that's, I think the, the great, the, 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 the great uh, misnomer that people think, well, once you become a, a Christian, your life is going to be rainbows and unicorns forever. No, we're forever bombarded and assaulted, maybe sometimes even worse, you know, as we get closer to the Lord and, and deeper in his word. The devil doesn't like that. So we constantly are being tempted and, and, and assaulted even, even more so, you know, and, and, sin rages all the more within us. I think one of the one of the examples or illustrations I've used in a sermon before is that, you know, being called into the Christian life, and that is what it is, we are called, we don't choose to be Christians. I don't believe there are such thing as volunteer Christians, but being called to the Christian life uh, through the word by the Holy Spirit isn't putting us in this comfort cruise, right? But rather putting us kind of on this warship because yeah. until Christ returns, until we reach those heavenly shores, life is a struggle. We struggle against sin, our old self, and even the world. Well, brother, let's continue. I'm going to read verses 15 through 24, leaving the very last verse for the end. So let's uh, take it from here, 15. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For what I do not do, the good I want. Oh, I messed it up. Here we go. Verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We'll end it there for now. Well, I messed up the doobie-doo, but let's uh, take it from verse 15, brother. There you um, go. That, what's uh, what's Paul doing? Paul is having his Frank Sinatra moment, plain and simple. The, you know, here this, I and this I think is one of the most beautiful passages for us. Not because he he sounds like old blue eyes here, but the fact of the matter I think is this is the embodiment of our lives as the children of God. This is the, the, the inner struggle, the inner battle that not only does Paul face, but every one of God's saints face in here. 
you know, one of my, my flotilla members, we, we were talking about this uh, uh, last week, and, and he mentioned, you know, don't fight the old, but but feed the new. And I think there's a great, great wisdom in that. You know, we're, we're constantly battling our old sinful nature, but yet our, our new life in Christ is, is where, um, you know, where we have that hope and that foundation. And Luther talks about this, this aspect right here of what Paul is, you know, when Luther, you know, has that, that simul justus et peccator. Well, well, at the same time, a sinner, a saint. And, and we live with that, that dual, dual-sided, um, you know, coin, if you want to call it, that we are sinners this side of heaven every, every day. Um, and we battle that that sin. The stuff that we don't want to do, that's what we keep doing. And the stuff we want to do, well, we don't always do it because our sinful side says, no, that's not what you should be doing. But we know that we have that that promise, that that great hope. You know, Paul talks about in, in Galatians 5 that the things of the spirit are contrary to the flesh and the things of the flesh are contrary to the spirit. And so we know that the things that are pleasing to God, Satan doesn't want us to do. And the things that are pleasing to Satan, God doesn't want us to do. And so we have that that back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And, and it's interesting, you know, verse 15, it kind of talks about, for I do not understand my own actions. And, you know, we you can get, I guess, into a, a 101 depths of the the different languages, but maybe another word you could use instead of understand might be approve. You know, like like how many times have you said, "Well, I just don't understand why I do what I want to do." Um, you know, I don't understand. I know I shouldn't be, you know, eating cake because I have diabetes, but I still love eating that entire cake. Um, well, you know, maybe the better thing is I I, I don't approve that that these are the things I'm doing. And, and so we as sinners, we as, as human beings here on this earth, as God's children, we know what the law says. The law says you're not supposed to be doing these things, but yet we do them because they're fun. And so then we feel guilty because the law exposes our sin. And, and then we say, ah, Lee, I, I really dropped the ball. But then we look, we look again. It, the law did its job. It exposes our sin. But then again, we're reminded, as Paul said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And I think that's, again, the, you know, chief of sinners, though I be. But there's, there's that we're not, we're not left with the law, you know, but, you know, again, it's that inner turmoil, that inner battle that we go with every single day. Again, because we're Christians doesn't mean we're exempt from this struggle. It doesn't mean that we just stop stop trying to, to follow God's word and say, well, okay, I'll just keep sinning, as Paul said in 6. So it, like you said earlier, that grace may abound. Okay, I'll just keep doing whatever. No, 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 no. You know, but we desire to do God's will. We desire to, to follow the ways of of the Lord so that we don't keep falling into that same pattern or use sin as an excuse. Well, I'm a sinner, so that's why I keep doing it. And I know I can ask for God's forgiveness, so I'll just keep doing it all the more. No, not not like that at all. 
Now, earlier when you mentioned simul justus epicator, right, we're at the same simultaneously uh, justified and uh, saint, right, saint and sinner. But you said something from a mate on the uh, flotilla. What, what was that phrase you used again? Ian mentioned, don't fight with the old, but feed the new. Now, I, I've never heard that, but it uh, is striking to me as something that I don't know that Christians um, are very good at. I mean, how often do we find ourselves constantly fighting against our old nature, which, of course, we you know, we have to do a little bit, of course, but we spend all of our energy, time and effort fighting. And then we don't have a lot of time for feeding the new and the way I interpret it. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but as it might apply to the Christian, we certainly must resist sin, but God is offering us through things like the means of grace, right? The sacraments, the word he's giving us all of these, these tools and enrichments of our faith and so the fight, the battle is going to be won by God, not by our own wills or strength resisting sin. How might you sort of explain and apply that? Because I really love that phrase. I'm going to have to use it and, and claim it as my own from now on. But uh, yeah. <laughs> how would you explain that? You know, when we were talking about it and he said it, I was like, wow. It, you know, I didn't, I had never thought of it in, in that aspect. And, and that's, I, I double checked uh, with him to, to make sure I was quoting it right. Cause I said, you know, iron sharpens iron, you know, when you kind of get the, the, the ability to hear things again. And I think, you know, like you said, we spend so much time just focusing on, on the battle. And, and yet how many times do, do we really spend really, really devoting ourselves to, to being in God's word? and and receiving his gifts and and not that it's done in in terms of oh this becomes a new law that if you don't spend 17 hours in God's word and and 35 hours in sitting in the pews and things like that you know i i think that's where we we are we don't always look at the the big picture if you will but i think the the kind of the feeding the new is we are called into God's family through the waters of holy baptism. He places his name on us, his spirit in us. Our names in the Lamb's book of life. We're reminded in the Old Testament that our names are engraved in the palms of our Lord's hand. And, and we become his treasured possessions. And, and how awesome is that big, that big picture of knowing that this world is not all that there is for us. That we have promise of life everlasting. And until that day comes, we we have the great joy of of feeding and nourishing our bodies to continue in the the race that is set before us, to continue to to hear His word, to to be in prayer and and fellowship with fellow brothers and sisters in the faith, to to eat His body, to drink His blood, to to you know, confess our, our sins to the Lord, not only corporately on Sunday morning, but privately with the pastor, but to hear that wonderful word, words of, of absolution, to hear your sins are forgiven, that even though you've struggled with this, whatever battle that you are in right now, with whatever sin that is, is causing just great, great struggle, that leaving it at the foot of the cross, confessing the sins to know that you are forgiven 
and and with that new beginning in Jesus that you have the opportunity to continue to press forward in faith and and how awesome that is that your life is not you are not marked and you are not identified only by your mistakes of who you used to be your identity lies in who you are as a child of the Lord. And, and what a beautiful picture that is, the, the new beginning that we have because of Christ, that by his stripes, we are healed. By his blood, we are washed clean. And, and that, I think, to me, is that wonderful reminder that we have to hear over and over and over again to know that the, the old self is the sin that so easily entangled is thrown off and that we are able to put on Christ, to clothe ourselves with Christ and, and to surround ourselves with those wonderful gifts, gifts that are given. His, his word, his sacraments, the, the fellowship of believers. And, and what a wonderful picture that paints for us then. Well, you know, I can tell you're a Lutheran pastor because you just couldn't help but get right into the gospel, and I love hearing it. Let's let's find our way into the last verse here because that's where Paul brings in the gospel, and I, I just love how he sets it up. Verse 24, and we'll finish it up because we just have a few minutes left. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And yes, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And I just, I can't help but bring in the next verse in chapter eight, which we'll get to tomorrow. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. With just a few minutes remaining, Pastor, um, you've already given us the gospel, but just expound on it just a little more because we can never hear enough. Well, and I think, again, this is why, you know, six, seven, and eight is a package deal because eight, therefore, there is no condemnation for those. You know, Paul starts with a therefore. While sin is the constant factor for Christians, the debt of our sin has been paid by the blood of Christ. His sacrifice has been made for us. Our hope is in Jesus, that although we're slave both to the law of God with our mind, the law of sin in our flesh, that's not all that we have. Though the this side of heaven, that battle is constant, our hope is in Christ. You know, Paul talks, 1 Corinthians 15, thanks be to God, the one who, um, to the one who is giving the victory to us through our Lord Jesus. And Paul talks about that here is thanks be to God through Jesus that we are forgiven. Through Jesus, we have hope. And that, man, thanks be to God for that. Absolutely. Brothers and sisters, love by God, it's come to the end of this particular episode. But thank you so much to my guest this morning, the Reverend Jim Dobb of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Havelock, North Carolina. Thank you for being on the show. I hope you'll join us again. Dear Saints Love by God, thank you for tuning in to Thy Strong Word this morning. If you'd like to reach out to me, email me directly at pastorboo at gmail.com. Until tomorrow, God's peace to you until God gathers us together again. Have a great day.